Okay, welcome to Endpoint Inside. Republic Broadcasting Network. Please go to the republicbroadcasting.org, smash that donate, send the fundage. And uh, tonight is spiritual health and wellness, and I'm going to be commenting on a sermon clip from Pastor Kay in Paris, Tennessee, on the resurrection of Christ and its essential foundation to the gospel. So uh, we've got several clips of it. May play two or three, depending. If you want to call in and weigh in on it, please do so. Let's roll that first clip, and that'll take us almost to the first break. Resurrection of Christ, Mike, please. Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading at verse 12 this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12, down through verse 23. And I tend to preach a sermon this morning to you entitled, Union with a Risen Christ. Union with a Risen Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, these are the words of God. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming." The development of Christian theology has a lot in common with the construction of a house. There is a specific order that must be followed to successfully complete the project. You can't lay the flooring before you install your plumbing, right? You can't paint the walls before you run your electrical. And you certainly can't finish the second story before you build the first story. In any construction project, there are items which are prerequisite to others. There are things that must be completed before other things can begin. We've learned this quite intimately as we've been working on this building here, haven't we? Well, the same is true of Christian theology. Christian theology is not a system of isolated propositions. It's not a a series of doctrines that are completely independent from one another. 
And just like the tasks involved in building a house, some doctrines are prerequisite to others. The coherency and validity of some doctrines depends on the previous establishment of other doctrines. For example, we believe in the absolute sinlessness of Christ. We believe in the sinless life of Christ. Amen? Amen. But if we don't first establish the doctrine of the virgin birth, then we cannot make sense of the doctrine of Christ's sinlessness. So that, that, that's just an example to illustrate this point. There are some doctrines that are foundational and necessary for other doctrines. And it's important for you to understand this concept because this concept is the basis for Paul's entire argument in verses 12 through 23 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is proceeding in his defense of the resurrection of believers on the last day by arguing from a doctrine that is even more foundational. What is the doctrine that, that, that is the, the foundation, that is the grounds, that is the basis for our resurrection on the last day? Well, it's the resurrection of Christ. In other words, Paul is going to prove the reality of the house by pulling back the drywall and pulling up the laminate flooring and showing us the foundation upon which this house is built. That's what he's doing in this text. We've got a good bit of ground to cover, and I want to hasten to our text. But let me give you a, a brief overview of what Paul is doing in these verses, okay? Paul will now demonstrate the absurdity of denying the resurrection on the last day by reminding the Corinthians that the resurrection is an essential component of the gospel that they have already believed. His proposition is, is simple. It is this. If Christ was resurrected on the third day, then all of his people will be resurrected on the last day. So even though Paul is ultimately seeking to prove the resurrection of believers on the last day, and that's ultimately what the Corinthians were denying, they were denying the future resurrection, Paul spends most of his time defending the resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago. Because if he can prove the foundation... He can prove the house as one doctrine is consequential to another. Paul then goes on in this text to list the atrocious consequences of denying the resurrection of Christ. And he shows us several things that must be true, several consequences, perilous, dastardly consequences of denying the resurrection of Christ. And then he concludes this section with an emphatic affirmation of our union with Christ as his people. And that includes our union with his resurrection. So there's a few things that I want to show you in this text. The first, in verses 12 through 13, I want you to see, number one, the present dilemma. The present dilemma. Paul begins and he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? The Christ preached by the Apostle Paul was unquestionably a risen Christ. As we've already seen, when Paul preached the gospel in Corinth, the resurrection of Christ was an essential component of that gospel. 
What Paul is doing in verse 12 is showing the Corinthians that their denial of the resurrection is inconsistent with what they've previously believed. A lot of times when someone has a a, a major uh, theological uh, uh, deficiency in their theology, uh, their their health in the faith, if you will, even their, their, uh, their, the reality of their salvation is often dependent on a blessed inconsistency. But really, a lot of times you'll run across people that they believe something that if they were consistent with their theology, uh, they would just fall into rank heresy. And so Paul is showing them here that, that if you're going to deny the resurrection on the last day, this is what you must believe by consistency's sake. So don't go there, in other words, is what he's saying. It's important for us to note that the crux of their denial was the resurrection of believers on the last day. It was the doctrine of the final resurrection to which some in the Corinthian church objected. And Paul demonstrates that the problem with their denial is that it proves too much. Because if you deny the final resurrection, you must, by necessity, deny the resurrection of Christ. Oftentimes, false doctrine will lead to an even more seditious and dangerous false doctrine, and such is the case here, 1 Corinthians 15. I have a feeling that the tone of verse 12, when Paul originally wrote it, was a lot more passionate and animated than when we read it today. Uh, Paul is not mildly concerned when he hears that the Corinthian church, that there are some in the Corinthian church who are denying the resurrection. I don't think that uh, verse 12 was originally written uh, like, well, brothers, uh, if Christ be preached that, that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? No, I think Paul is absolutely beside himself. And in verse 12, we should really read it like this. How in the world? Could some of you dare to say that there is no resurrection? You have lost your minds. What Paul is saying in verse 12. Paul knew that this church had issues, but this denial was on a whole other level. I've told you before that of all the problems in the Corinthian church, this is the most heinous one. Because you, you, you don't go to hell just because you sue your brother and take him to court. You don't go to hell just because you eat meat sacrificed to idols. But if you deny the resurrection of Christ, you will go to hell. Well, that brings us to a question that we have postponed so far as we've worked our way through chapter 15, and I want to answer it this morning. Why were some in the Corinthian church denying the resurrection? They didn't get that from Paul. Right? They didn't get that from Peter. They didn't get that from Apollos. Where did they get this denial of the resurrection? Where does a member of a Christian church come up with the idea that the dead won't be raised on the last day? Well, there's two possibilities here. Number one, this denial could have come from a Sadducean influence in the church. Uh, the Sadducees were a sect of the Jews that opposed Christ during his earthly ministry. You know, the the Pharisees were the ultra-conservative, legalistic sect of the Jews. But the Sadducees were just the opposite. The Sadducees were were the the liberals. If if the Sadducees were alive today, they would be in that postmodern crowd that doesn't believe in objective reality and objective truth, right? Uh, The Sadducees denied much of the supernatural 
They didn't believe in an afterlife and they didn't believe in, in angels and they didn't believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection and, you know, you've heard this before, that's why they were sad, you see. Okay? That's how we were taught in college to remember the difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees. Remember, it was the Sadducees that tried to stump Jesus with that foolish question about the woman who outlived seven husbands. And they said, well, see there, ha, ha, ha. Uh, if she's outlived these seven husbands, who will her husband be in the resurrection? Well, they asked that foolish question because they believed that the resurrection was a foolish doctrine. So that's one possibility. However, given the location of the Corinthian church, it's unlikely that their denial stemmed from a Sadducean influence. Okay, Rather, it is more probable that their denial of the resurrection came instead from Gnosticism. We've talked about Gnosticism before because it's affected several issues in the Corinthian church. And the Gnostics believed a number of very dangerous false doctrines, but one of the key tenets of Gnosticism was a doctrine called dualism. Dualism. What does dualism teach? Well, dualism teaches... That there, there is that the whole world is essentially uh, a story of the the battle between material evil and spiritual good, and so everything that is material is evil, inherently evil. Your body, your flesh, and your bones are inherently evil, and only the spiritual, immaterial aspects of you have any worth and value. Okay, think about that for a moment. Do you see how believing that would naturally lead to a denial of the resurrection? By the way, it's also what led to the problems of fornication in the Corinthian church. Remember the, the old axiom that Paul was quoting there? Uh, that, that, you know, the meats for the belly, the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. The idea is that, well, my body is evil and God's going to destroy my body. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. I can, I can commit fornication with my body. I can uh, trash my body and destroy my body. It doesn't matter because my body is just this prison house of the soul. My body is just this, this cage that my soul is trapped in. And death is a great thing because death releases my soul from this awful prison of a body. Well, if you believe that, a resurrection makes no sense. It's a step back if you believe that. And it's more than likely that this false doctrine of Gnosticism was the influence that led to some in the Corinthian church denying the resurrection. And make no mistake about it, this doctrine of the body taught by Gnostic dualism is a false doctrine that directly opposed a Christian theology of the body. Okay, so just some commentary on the clip before we go to break and calls. Uh, the distinction between this Sadducean false doctrine and the Gnostic false doctrine. So as the speaker mentioned, the Sadducees were a group um, of Jews that opposed Jesus, that denied all things supernatural. They actually denied the resurrection of not only the body, but the soul. All right. They were, they were active during the second temple period from 2nd century BCE until the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE. Um, 
and they denied that even the soul itself would resurrect. But as the speaker mentioned, this most likely was not the uh, what the Corinthians were being beguiled by. It was this dualism from Gnostic false teaching. The Gnostics believed that all sin, everything bad about you is in the body, therefore it doesn't matter what your body does. Um, it's all spiritual. And so this sect of false teachers taught that you could do anything that you wanted to in the body, in the physical realm, and that it didn't affect the spiritual because the body would be destroyed and never brought back again. This is completely contrary to the teaching of Scripture, as I will bring up uh, on the other half of the break. And I'll also bring up Paul's commentary on walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. Back on the other side, I'll do commentary in the short section and then another sermon work. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee, it's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted, it's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. 
With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at libertystickers.com. Again, that's libertystickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Spiritual health and wellness in plain sight. Your Wednesday night broadcast. Before we get to the next clip, I just want to break down what's already been stated. So there is a, first of all, there is a false belief, a uh, a heresy of dualism, and this is Gnostic heresy from the second century, even first century, late first century. That the body doesn't matter, therefore what you do in the body um, doesn't have any effect on the spirit, but that's not true. Now, I will say that Paul makes comments in Romans 7 and Galatians 5, talking about walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. Now, let's start this off with Romans 7, 23 through 24. Paul writes, but I see another law in my members members being the members of his physical body, okay? Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul is making a a very clear statement here of the conflict between the flesh and the spirit, all right? Because the flesh, which includes the brain, your human brain, which God created, it's, it's more sophisticated than any computer that man can create. Your human brain can be damaged, uh, and shall we say, just like a computer is uh, damaged by viruses or you know bad information, your human brain can, can be damaged uh, as such. So, for example, if you're molested as a child, then your brain retains that damage and you see, you process sexuality through your mind through that damage. Right? That's how you get homosexuals. Uh, the majority of homosexuals, if not all, uh, were molested as children and they're warped in their thinking. So if that such person becomes a believer, their spirit is renewed. And made alive. All right? They're made a new creature in the spirit. But they still have to war against the damage that was done in their flesh. And that, that bad virus that was downloaded in their mind. as how they perceive sexuality. How they process that. And that could be a lifelong struggle. So Paul is talking about in Romans 7. The war between the flesh and the spirit. Even more clearly he uh, articulates this in Galatians 5, 16 through 7. 
speaking to the believer. Paul's talking to believers here. Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul's talking about a struggle here that happens in the life of the believer where you're warring against the sinful desires of your flesh. And you have to make a choice. You have to choose to walk in the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, and do the things that are written in the law, which is a lifelong struggle, or you give in to the fleshly desires. And these could be multiple desires. These could be addictions, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sexual addictions, uh, whatever. And I would argue that sexual addictions are infinitely more powerful than any kind of chemical addiction. All right, a sexual addiction, again, to reiterate, is infinitely more powerful than any kind of chemical uh, addiction, be it drugs or be it a natural uh, substance like alcohol or even marijuana. These things you have to overcome by walking in the Spirit. That's what Paul's making the case for in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. So he's not saying he's not preaching the duality uh, heresy that the Gnostics preached. That it doesn't matter what what you do in your body. Paul's saying it does matter what you do in your body. It does matter what you do in this life. All right. So getting back, um, pulling back to the the thirty thousand foot view. So a belief in the resurrection is a belief in that. Your actual body, the the molecules, the DNA in your actual body will be resurrected. And if you're a believer, you'll be resurrected to life, to a new indestructible body that's sinless, that conforms to Christ. And as I'm going to cover on the other side of the break, for the unbeliever, their actual bodies will be resurrected to face judgment, sin. Or side direction. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news. Real talk real people because you can handle the truth what would you say if i told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company and it would pay for itself in just six weeks when pigs fly the new ease off model easy 4 replaces old spring style carcass droppers and is faster safer and more reliable the Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive. Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? 
It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com, and hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly, and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Here's some interesting news. Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest, people are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food. But the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker. Until now. Because you can now have a 3D printed underground bunker in just one day. An excavator digs a hole in your backyard, and 3dbunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D Bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3DBunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3DBunkers.com for more details or visit 3DBunkers.com. Coming back to spiritual health and wellness, I want to get to the next clip. But just just to clarify, okay, there is a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the unrighteous in the Bible. All right? The resurrection of the righteous, you can go all the way back to Daniel 12, verse 2, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that have turned many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. There's specifically two resurrections. These are literal resurrections of your body, the molecules that God created, the DNA in your body. The DNA is there for a purpose. It's a code. It's not going away. It's all mathematics, and you're not getting a different body upon resurrection. The righteous and the unrighteous are both going to be resurrected. Now, Revelation 20, let me just pull this up before we go to the next clip. 
just to prove from the Bible. If you believe the Bible, now if you believe some other craziness, it's whatever, okay? But I choose, I'm, I'm talking about the Bible here. The Bible teaches in Revelation 20, there's a resurrection that happens for the righteous at the second coming of Christ, all right? And verse 4, Revelation 24, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls, the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, nor his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, nor on their hands. And they lived, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the, the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous, where they are literally united with their bodies. But Jeremy, some people have been dead for thousands of years and their bodies are dust. Okay, but matter is neither created nor destroyed. And this is a law that God put in place. And so the dust in the earth, like their bodies are still there. There is this concept of the body sleeping, but never, never a concept of the soul sleeping. Paul says that for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your soul will is, is always conscious. And upon your death of your body, for the Christian, it's called a sleep. Okay? And this is uh, iterated in the next clip. For the Christian, you sleep in your body. Your soul doesn't sleep. This soul sleep is garbage. This is some this is some kind of garbage that's put out there, and your soul is immediately present with the Lord, and your soul awaits the awakening of the body. All right, just like as Jesus pointed out in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. All right, the rich man lifted up his eyes when he died, and he was in hell in torment. His soul was alive; his body was dead in the earth. So the body sleeps, the soul lives on, and it goes either to heaven or hell. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Just real quick, Revelation 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the dead, small and great. These are dead not only in body, Right, these are dead in soul because the dead in the body. Earlier in Revelation twenty, the righteous were, were raised to reign with Christ. This is the the raising of the dead. Saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. This is a clear teaching of the revela- the, the um, resurrection of not only the living earlier in the chapter to reign with Christ, but a resurrection of the dead. Notice the sea gave up the dead. Dead bodies in the sea resurrect to go to the great white throne. And the great white throne is the the judgment of the unsaved, those that have rejected Christ. All right. So this is a very clear biblical doctrine of the revitalizing of the body, even though they've been buried in the sea 
are buried in the earth, righteous and unrighteous, they will resurrect, and the basis of their judgment will be upon their works. Why? Why their works? Because the righteous who believed in Christ trusted in Christ that he paid for their sins. The unrighteous choose to pay for their own sins. That's why in Revelation 20, starting in 12 and going on, the great white throne, they're judged according to their works. They chose to be judged according to their works. The righteous chose to accept Christ's full payment for their sins, and they believed on him. Let's do the next four-minute clip, Mike, or however long that is, and then uh, we'll see if there's any callers. Go ahead. One of the other consequences that the the Gnostics, which really made them rank heretics in the second century, was because of their belief in the material being evil, they could not believe that the Son of God became a man. So they denied the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ because a man cannot be God, right? In their view, in their view. But you must understand that the Bible teaches a distinctly Christian theology of the body. And you need to be aware of that, especially with all of the perversion that goes on in our world today. You need to know that God has something to say about your body, your physical body. And here's what He has to say about it. God created your body, and He created it good. Your body is not inherently evil. God created Adam and Eve, and He said, this is good. Sin has corrupted what God created good, But the God who created you is the God who redeems you. And your redemption is not complete until you are resurrected. Because the resurrection is the consummation of the salvation of the whole person. The resurrection is when God applies redemption to your physical body. He's already applied it to your soul, to your spirit. But he has not yet fully applied it to your body. God does not discard what He created. He redeems what He created. He doesn't discard it because it was created good. There's no need to throw it away. We just need to purify it from the effects of sin. In first, or 2 Corinthians 5, God tells us, when if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. But He then goes on to explain what that means. Old things are passed away Behold, all things are become new. Notice it doesn't say that God creates all new things. He creates all things new. And there's coming a day in which He will create you anew. He will create your body anew. It doesn't mean He's going to create a new body for you, but He's going to take your body and create it new. So we must wholeheartedly reject the idea that our bodies do not matter because God's going to destroy them in the end anyways. No, our bodies are part of the creation that God will redeem. Therefore, we must glorify God in our bodies, and we must know that there is coming a day in which God will restore our bodies and remove from it the curse of sin. So that's the the false doctrine that led to a denial of the resurrection in the Corinthian church. But notice what, what Paul goes on to say. He says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not raised? 
Paul goes on to state the terrifying consequence of denying the resurrection of the dead on the last day. To say that the dead will not rise is to say that Christ did not rise. And to say that Christ did not rise is to throw the whole Christian religion out the window. A resurrectionless gospel is no gospel at all. It would have been inconceivable to the apostles to think that the resurrection didn't occur. It was the the grounds and the basis for their entire ministry. The gospel of those who deny the resurrection is not the gospel of Christ. It is a myth that they've created in their own minds. And you must be on guard. Because there are those who still believe and teach this today. There are men who began as orthodox preachers and teachers of the word of God who would go on to deny the final resurrection of the dead. Even men that I early... There we go. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to cut the clip early right there. Uh, We got rain in Mississippi and Mike in Kentucky. Let's go to rain first. Rain, welcome. It's Wayne. Uh, Oh, yes, go ahead. Okay, look, uh, Jeremy, do you have any thoughts on cremation and uh, or giving your body to uh, a medical school when you pass away? Well, I I think that it's not a moral decision. It's not a Christian decision to cremate your body or to give your body to science. Now, that having been said, it does not negate the fact that God will resurrect your molecules regardless of where they are. Remember the the verses I read in Revelation 20 that the dead gave up, the sea gave up their dead. Right. So, I mean, these are dead bodies for thousands of years that have been eaten by, like, sea creatures and digested. So, it, it, so cremation or having your body dissected, that does not limit God. He can still resurrect all your molecules no matter where they are. But I just think it's an unchristian thing to have your body cremated. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. Because if you've believed on Christ, truly believed, it doesn't matter, you know, if you've had your body cremated or buried. But I just think it's a Christian practice for burial, for traditional burial. That's my thoughts on it. Okay. Fair enough. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Wayne. Uh, We'll go to Mike from Kentucky. Is up next. Hey, and... um I have to wonder too if uh, uh, if your body gets destroyed like that after you're dead, if it's if it's good for the souls that uh, can't seem to uh, move on. <laughs> you see yourself dead there, and there's all these out of body experiences that happen. But I don't I don't necessarily believe any of that. But one thing the Bible does talk about is is kind of curious, and I wonder what phase of the resurrections. This might occur is uh, that there are those that will change in a twinkling of an eye. Mm. 
So this is the this is where they get the teaching of the rapture in the Second Thessalonians passage. Now, Mike, it may surprise you. I do believe that the rapture will occur. So at the second coming of Christ, whenever that is, I don't want to go pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Um, I don't claim to know any of that. But I think there will be a time when Christ appears and there's going to be believers who are alive and believers who are dead. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious that 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 a very plausible scenario. And I think that's what second Thessalonians is pointing out is that whenever that is, whenever, regardless to the tribulation, when Christ appears, those that are dead in Christ arise first. Those that are alive in Christ are changed and are brought up. And that's where they get this teaching of the rapture. If you want to call it that rapture is not in the Bible. It's called the, you know, the catching away. Yeah. Yeah. I've read all that, but, uh, you know, a lot of people point to the thief on the cross, too, because he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And then uh, it talks of the graves being opened up. And after he came out of the tomb, he was seen with, uh, who was it, Abraham and Moses or some of the, he was seen with some of the fa- fathers that had fell well, asleep that come out of the grave on them. Well, uh, the, the, but before, before the cross, you know, Christ had his transfiguration where he allowed his glory to be shown to men. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was seen with Moses and Elijah. Now, yeah. Elijah, Elijah was caught away into heaven and didn't experience regular physical death that we right. know of. Of an eye, sort of like Enoch's, or who was it that walked with God and was not? Was yeah, Enoch. So, so Christ you know, appeared in a glorified form at the transfiguration. That's just simply a time when he allowed his glory to, to push through his humanity. And he allowed, you know, Peter, James, and John to see him in his glorified form. And he was talking with Moses and Elijah. That's a very intriguing scene. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, I don't know if Elijah ever died. Um yeah, because or, clearly or, he, was the, he was the first fruits of the re, first resurrection, and then uh, the tales are even, I think, Josephus or others outside the New Testament approved canon make mention of seeing, you know, the saints rising and the graves being opened up, the tombs being opened yeah. up. So well, let's distinguish that happened after he real came quick. out. Okay. Real, real quick, just to give us context, let's distinguish the resurrections here. You know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the 12-year-old girl from the dead. Um, saints at the crucifixion come out of their graves and were raised from the dead. This is a normal resurrection to the uh, the normal physical body. This was not a, a glorified body that they were raised to. So in other words, Lazarus, the 12-year-old girl, the saints that broke out of the graves at the crucifixion, they were resurrected into their normal bodies, and we would presume that they eventually died in their normal bodies. Well, Jesus I, can is the Lazarus. I, can, I can certainly see that with Lazarus, Lazarus, because he is he was brought he was brought out of the tomb. I think as a a foreshadowing of how you know, gee, you can raise this guy after four days or whatever, uh, no problem. Strike his temple down, and I'll raise it again in three days. I think right. they initially didn't understand that. He was talking about himself. 
and uh, somewhere in there it says, Can ye not see ye are the temples? And I think that's why we're warned against sexual immorality and eating, eating food sacrificed to idols, not once but twice in Revelations and elsewhere. Yes. Corinthians also, yeah, I mean, I, I know the point that you're getting to, but let me finish my point before we get to your point. My point is that Jesus was the first fruits. So he's the first one that was resurrected into an indestructible, glorified body. And all these other people, remember Elijah resurrected a boy from the dead, the widow's son, but but they were resurrected into regular bodies. I think that what the Bible's pointing out is that Jesus is the first fruits of the indestructible, glorified body that we will all be resurrected into. And all these other people were resurrected and died eventually. I was going to say, ultimately, he's in his kingdom and it has no end. So, yeah. So getting to the meat sacrifice to idols, I know you're against eating meat. And you make a good point. Well, I'm, I'm against unless it's very, very justified. I mean, if you're starving on a desert island, you run out of coconuts, and all there is is a monkey <laughs> or, a, or something, you know, a chicken, I mean, maybe you'd be justified in taking uh, that animal's life. But if you can feed yourself, uh, and that, it says that you is weak in the faith, uh, eateth herbs, and, you know, in the same paragraph, it says not to be received with much disputations. So remember, Daniel. Paul. Remember, Daniel. Paul also says. Remember, real quick, Paul also says that if you're eating meat at an unbeliever's house and you don't know where it comes from, eat it with thankfulness to God. But if you know where it comes from, if you know it's sacrificed to idols, and don't eat it for conscience' sake. So there is that. In other words, I don't think the eating of meat in and of itself is sinful. But if you know for a fact that it's sacrificed to idols, then it becomes sinful for the Christian. I think we have to consider Paul's context. He was roaming around all these Greek and Roman cities where the pagan temples were up and running. I mean, in one case, uh, there was all these shrines as he went into this town, and he told them, because uh, they were like, which one, which gods do you worship? And he's like, uh, the one that's the unknown god, because you don't know what you're, you know, <laughs> I worship what I know, you don't worship, you, you worship what you do not know. And it was the two, it was a shrine to an unknown god, as they were trying to cover well, their faces. So he, he was steeped in cultures that were doing all manner of stuff, I mean. Uh, let's get, let's get to, the, let's get to the crux of your point, because as you know, I like to get to the, the bottom line. So when we eat meat in the modern world, modern world meaning in the last hundred years, these meats are processed. Um, they could be blessed by rabbis. They'd be kosher. <laughs> so pretty much every meat that you eat could fall into that category. And I think that's the point that you're making. Well, you Daniel, of course, the Nebuchadnezzar, I guess, noticed that Daniel and his crew were much better off after they went on their fast and stopped eating his, quote, rich foods, whatever that means. I think it meant, you know, meat. Meat, M-E-T-E, meaning good, and M-E-A-T, I think people get confused with the, in the English. If you go all the well, way back to like Geneva Bible and stuff, you can see that, uh, how easy that was to do, because spellings are all different. It could very well be, to your point, it could very well be that all the meat that we eat, because 
I mean, how many people raise their own meat, right? How many people like raise pigs that aren't, you know, that aren't, uh, you know, uh, uh, tainted by the world system? I mean, hardly nobody. So I I get to to that all these minor prophets throughout the Old Testament basically say obedience is rather than sacrifice. And they they shun the idea of killing animals to be sacrificed for sins. And it only seems to be the Levites that are stuck on that, that they want to rebuild the temple and start killing animals again, Uh, even though they're not. They probably don't have a legitimate claim to be Levites, these modern ones that they're trying to... Figure out how to make themselves worthy to set foot on Temple Mount, Red Heifer, and whatever. I don't know. If well, what I'm getting that. at is, what I'm getting at is, you could make the case as you're. I think you're making that modern meat is all tainted. That that case could very easily be made, and I can see that. Um, God has what is it? What God has declared uh, clean? Do not declare unclean. Is that a lot of people confuse that? I think it's talking about people that being being saved, be they Samaritans or or whoever the Jews thought of as dogs, you know. And he he, he in one case, he this woman says, "Well, even a dog gets crumbs off the king's table," and her, her daughter was healed because of her faith. So uh, I think when when uh, he's the scripture talks about, "Do not declare something unclean," which God has declared clean, is not talking about pigs or pork or meat, uh, even modern stuff. And uh, I think it's curious that during COVID, they allotted the pork industry. China's took over a lot of it. They, they allotted the pork industry a bunch of COVID shots. And uh, I know of one place here in Kentucky, in Grayson, the truck driver drove up and died right there as he delivered the truck of covid in the parking lot, and some of the workers have had COVID-19 three, four, five times. And, uh, you know, finally they go to a doctor that says, you know, your vitamin D is really low. <laughs> uh, you need to fix that, well, you know, vitamin B and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I think there's plenty of reasons not to eat pork. You know, I've heard people say, I'd rather die than, eat, than not eat bacon. And I'm like, uh, their God is their belly. Have you ever read that one? <laughs> Let, let me just let me just bottom line it just real quick because yeah. I like to do this. I like to get to the bottom line. You cannot look at the Bible and say that the Bible commands that you don't eat meat. But if that meat is tainted, you've got a case. And yeah, the majority of I don't think it'll come in either way. It's it's kind of like your choice, and I think that's where Timothy three comes in. People say it's a doctrine of devils, but King James added the word and commanding there. I think it's Timothy it four, right. four three, uh, where they you know say, and I think that's one reason why they didn't want the Bible in English because all these Catholic priests weren't allowed to be married, and that's the doctrine hmm. of devils forbidding marriage. <laughs> so. There's there's pretty several good reasons why the Catholic Church didn't want the Bible and it translated into the common languages. It's a good conversation, Mike. We're at the end of the yeah. show, unfortunately. Thank oh. you. Thanks for the thanks for taking my call. All right, man. Back tomorrow night with William the Red Pillar. Yes.
Hi, Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 carcass drop and lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation. But today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 